You're listening to audio from Calvary Gravenhurst in Muskoka, Ontario. For more resources or to connect with someone in the church, please visit calvarygravenhurst.com. This week's sermon is taught by lead pastor Benjamin Emery. Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome. This is our third sermon in our series called Conversations with Jesus, where we're learning how to share the gospel with people according to the master Jesus, how he did it. Two weeks ago, we looked at a a woman, a Samaritan social outcast um, who came to faith, whose life was changed, who then uh, like brought many, many other people to see Jesus. She's the kind of person like if I could put it into a modern day, she's kind of like the person that you see on the intersections. You know, the, they, they look kind of rough and, and they've got a sign saying, you know, I need some money in desperate need. And like when they come up beside your car and they look at you, you like you turn away. And, and sometimes I've heard some people stick their head out the window and yell, get a job, you bum, like that sort of social outcast. Then last week we looked at a guy named Zacchaeus, and he was, he was like a, the scumbag tax collector. Like everybody hated him. He was a criminal, a lowlife. He got rich off of other people's pain, kind of like the first century vampire feeding off the people. This week, it's a very different kind of person. Now, this guy's name is Nicodemus, and he's a religious person. And he's probably more like the kind of person that a lot of uh, you listening to this, living in Gravenhurst, will interact with on an everyday basis. They have some religious experience, but it's never actually changed them. They don't actually know that much about who God is. So let's, let's just take a minute and pray and ask God to help us. Lord, we're going to listen to you interacting with a religious person. It's not a prophet. It's not uh, a priest. It's you, God, interacting with a man, a man who later comes to faith. And Lord, we interact with people um, all the time who have some religious experience in their past, uh, but it's never actually changed them. They don't actually know what it is they believe. Some of them even identify as Christians. Lord, would you help us? We want to be useful. We see the world getting worse, and we want to be a part of spreading the news that'll make it better. Spreading the news that will bring people to to be saved and to be changed and to be born again. Lord, you have to create a desire inside of us. Lord, I know a lot of the people listening to this, they don't really feel like going out and sharing the gospel. Sometimes I don't feel like going out and sharing the gospel. Yet it's something so important. God, help us and, and empower us to do that. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you haven't already, turn to John chapter 3. Uh, verse 1 verse 1 says there was a man named sorry there was a man from the pharisees named nicodemus a ruler of the jews so there's this guy named nicodemus we know he's this thing called a pharisee and he's a ruler of the jews well what is a pharisee first of all if if you don't really understand it you can't understand how important this character is in Jesus' interactions with people. Uh, the Pharisees, along with the Sadducees, they were, they were the part of the ruling class of Israel. Now, there, there was a small middle class and a large lower class and then an even smaller 
uh, ruling class, and they are the rulers of the ruling class. Now, now we could picture them kind of, if you, if you think 200 years ago, England, they had the king or the queen who was in charge, but they, then they had members of parliament. And, and so the king was overall in charge, but the members of parliament, they really did a lot of the ruling for the king. Uh, they decided the 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 everyday laws uh, they they decided the everyday taxes uh, they dealt with the religious stuff they they dealt with the people on behalf of the king they were very powerful uh, that's kind of like maybe what the scene we could see here is there was a king at the time uh, his name was Herod and 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 he ruled and he would deal with a lot of the external uh, issues like other nations like the military like war like trade he would deal with that stuff but then there was these other people uh, these Pharisees and Sadducees who were, who were kind of like politicians and pastors at the same time, politicians and priests. And they would deal with a lot of the inner workings of the country, the religion, which played a humongous part, uh, the tax system. Uh, they would deal with, you know, people. And they were very powerful, and they ruled. Uh, they, they, both the Pharisees and Sadducees were kind of like religious parties, political parties. We could say like one would be the conservative party and one would be like the liberal party. And, and, and they had some differences. In fact, they were always at each other. The main differences is one was more conservative in his theology and one was more liberal in his theology. The Sadducees were, they, they believed that the Old Testament uh, was from God and that it was to be interpreted literally. Like what, exactly what it said was the way we were supposed to live. And if nothing was written about it, then God didn't want us to know about it. Whereas the, the Pharisees, they were more like the, the liberal kind of uh, political religious people. They believed that, yes, the first uh, five books of Moses were law, but as well the oral traditions that had been passed down uh, by teachers since then also were from God. And so they would take both the books of Moses and the oral traditions and they would mix them together. And that was how they believed that you should interact with God. So both these parties, okay, these groups uh, would vote, would select 35 people from each and they would become what was called the Sadducees, or sorry, the Sanhedrin, which were the ruling party of the rulers. And, and so we could think of them like parliament, they would come together for issues. They would sit, they would debate, they would argue. They you know, were out biting for political power. They were very wealthy, um, very educated. They were the upper class. And, and not a lot of them had to do uh, much with the regular people. They didn't really represent the regular people. They were extremely religious in that they dressed extremely religious. They talked very religious. They memorized the first five books of the Bible. Yeah, that's like Leviticus as well. They memorized it. Uh, But yet they didn't really know it. And they didn't really want to live it out either. They had lots of head knowledge, but not much heart change. And those are the kind of people we come into contact with all the time. How do you tell a religious person from a person of faith? Well, here's just a few things you can see in in religious people. Religious people, uh, they live by rules and or traditions. 
right? Like faith is carried out by rules and or traditions, not actually by, by faith in a God who is supernatural, who has given us his word to live by and promises to live inside of us. Number two, religious people uh, look to blend God and culture together into something they approve of. Uh, religious people often make decisions based off of emotion, not necessarily off of what God desires. Religious people uh, care more about public perception, so like what people think of them, than off of divine perception, like what does God think of them. Religious people can sometimes replace the knowing God with customs and traditions. So instead of like, God wants to know you, he wants to live inside of you, he wants to, to change you, it's like, no, God wants you to do A, B, and C, and then he's happy. Sometimes religious people uh, believe they can uh, impress God with their morality instead of being impressed with God's perfection. Sometimes religious people uh, believe that they're actually in charge instead of submitting that God is actually in charge. Those are just a few of the things, which, which, which leads us to understand why Jesus had such a hard time with the Pharisees, with the religious people. Like, if you see, if you read the Gospels, you see very clearly that Jesus, you know, he never, you know, he never said that it was all right that the tax collectors were stealing money. He, he, he never, you know, um, encouraged the bad behavior of the Romans. Like, he had a set of laws and he lived by them. He didn't compromise. But there was one group that he had a particularly hard time. In fact, he would rail against them. Like, he was angry. And he dedicates, Matthew dedicates an entire chapter recording some of those things. Like, you know, if, if, if somebody records an entire chapter and they've only got like 25 chapters just to one subject, it's probably something that was important. So turn with me to Matthew chapter 23. And, and let me just read a few. I'll just, I'll just jump to a few. I'll tell you where I'm going. Um, it's page 878 if you've got one of the church uh, Bibles. Matthew 23. And we'll just start at verse 1. We'll see how Jesus, some of the things Jesus has to say about them. Then Jesus spoke to the crowds and to his disciples. The scribes and Pharisees are seated at the chair of Moses. Therefore, do whatever they tell you and observe it, but don't do what they do, because they don't practice what they teach. They tie up heavy loads that are hard to carry and put them on people's shoulders, but they themselves aren't willing to lift a finger to move them. They do everything to be seen by others. They enlarge their phylacteries and lengthen their tassels. They love the place of honor at the banquets, at the front seats of the synagogues, greetings in marketplaces, and being called rabbi by people. Verse 13, skip down there. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. For you don't go in, and you don't allow those entering to go in. Go down to verse 23. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You pay a tenth of mint and dill and come in, and yet you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, faithfulness. Go down to verse 25. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You clean outside the cup and the dish, but inside you are full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisees, 
clean the inside of the cup, and then the outside of it may also become clean. Verse 27, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! You are like whitewashed tombs, which appear beautiful on the outside, but inside are full of bones of dead men and every kind of impurity. In the same way, on the outside you seem righteous to people, but on the inside you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. You can see that Jesus had a hard time with religious people. And so now you've got the scene. We know there was this guy named Nicodemus, a Pharisee, a ruler. That means he's one of the Sanhedrin. He's in part of the ruling class. Scholars believe he was, you know, one of the top guys, top educated guys, top teachers, right? The, the, the uh, Pharisees, they controlled the synagogues where the teaching was going on, and the, um, the others, uh, the Sadducees, they controlled the temples. Like, and, and so they came together, and he's one of the top guys. Important? Big time he's important. Educated? Big time he's educated. Powerful and wealthy? Check, check. But what's one of the main things? He was very religious. And, and this is a distinguishing aspect of people we come into contact, which we would say were born after the war, okay, into about probably 1965. We might call them the baby boomer generation. They're the largest generation in history, okay? And, and they've lived through the most prosperous period of history. They're very wealthy. Uh, last, the stats I saw last, uh, maybe a year ago, they controlled 63% of the world's wealth, okay? And a lot of them have moved to Gravenhurst, and you now come into contact with them. They have a, a form of religion, okay, but they don't actually know God. See, my generation, like, they, they, they saw a lot of the effects of, of liberal theology and, 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 you know, liberal churches, and they're like, I don't want anything to do with that. And, and then the generation under mine, the millennials, they're like, they, have, they don't really have much contact with anyone religious, so they're, they're not... Christian by name, most of them, and they don't want anything to do with it. But, but this generation is very different, and that's a lot of the people you're going to come into contact with. And so we want to see how does Jesus interact with them. Paul, in fact, talks about them being a lot more of them in the end days, in the, in the last period of time. He says this when he's talking about the end times in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 5. He says, they hold to a form of godliness, but they deny its power. So they've got some religious things about them. They may believe in a God. They may, you know, have a Bible on their shelf, but they don't actually believe in its power. They deny its power. And they, they grew up in the 50s, in the 60s, in the 70s, when church attendance in Canada and the U.S. was at its highest, the highest ever in history, and it hasn't been since then. I think 1963 was the highest ever. And, and, and they, they went to the schools. They were influenced by liberal, uh, a lot of liberal pastors coming out of liberal uh, seminaries. They went to universities, and they were taught a, a lot of sort of li liberal doctrine. And, and they mixed it all together, and the world captivated them because they had the ability to be so prosperous, have so much education, so much wealth, and, and they've, they've lived through that period, and, and now they're in the last period of their life. And they need the gospel. And we need to know how to reach them. Verse 2. 
This man came to him at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one can perform these signs that you do unless God were with them. Notice a few things. One, he comes at night. He doesn't want people to see him going to talk to Jesus, right? He is, he is a highly esteemed man, very uh, like respected, and he cannot be seen going to talk to Jesus. He goes at night, which is evangelism tip number one. You've got to be flexible. Like when you're talking to Jesus, uh, to people about Jesus, you've got to be flexible. Last week we saw that Jesus changed his plans. He was coming through Jericho on his way to Jerusalem. He was just passing through the, the Bible, uh, the text said. And then he saw this guy, Zacchaeus. He changed his plans and stayed the night with Zacchaeus. And what do we see here? Like, we've got to understand the context. It's the Middle East. It's the first century. And, and it's just like it was when I was in the Middle East. There's nothing to do at night. Nobody has electricity. There's no TVs. Maybe somebody has a crank radio. Maybe there's one or two in town. But... Nobody listens to it because you've got to go and get together as a community. So what do people do at night? They sleep. Usually in the Middle East, they have a large dinner that lasts a couple of hours. They talk, they visit. Maybe they have some people, their neighbors over, their family over. And then when the sun goes down, people go to sleep because they get up at dawn. And so Jesus has most likely been teaching all day. And when everyone else is sleeping, he's making time to meet with Nicodemus. And so we've got to be flexible. We can't always think, okay, God, you know, I'll give you Monday between 9 and 10. And, and that's all I'm going to give you. Or I'll, give, I'll, I'll do once a month in the, in the nursery, and that's all the kingdom work I'm going to do for you. Or God, I, I only, I'm only going to talk to people if it's in these circumstances. We have to be flexible. Yeah, we also have to live life, and we, we can't just be at the beck and call of everyone at all times, but we've got to allow for God's schedule to rule our lives. Notice he comes with a compliment. Like he, he's a very smart man. He's a man who's, who's talked to the, the most wealthy, the most powerful people from Jerusalem and probably from the neighboring nations. He knows how to carry on a conversation. And he comes in with a compliment, but he's also got some questions and and he makes a statement within the statement is almost a question like who are you jesus we know you're not a regular guy jesus uh, but we don't quite know who you are so who are you and 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 we got to understand and and i've really come to know as i've interacted with a lot of um, people at the end of their lives is People at the end of their lives, as they realize, as their friends are dying, as it's no longer their parents are no longer alive, but it's them. They know they're the next generation to go. Uh, that they start to question a lot of the things that they took for granted at one time. You know, when you're young, when you're in your teens and your 20s and your 30s, as they did in the 60s and the 70s, they embraced a lot of different things, right? Sex, out. Sex outside of marriage became really big. Sleep with whoever. Drugs, let's try it all, right? Buck against authority, right? And, and, and the Bible isn't real and, and evolution is the thing, right? And, and so that was fun and it seemed exciting at the start, but now they're in their late 60s, 70s, 80s. And all the things that 
you know, were so fun and exciting are now not as fun and exciting. And they're looking for questions. They have questions and they're looking for answers. And that's what he's come to do. You know, as I talk to people um, who are in this last period of life, they can see what's happening in the society. Like, they see what's happening with their grandkids, their kids. You know, they read the stats. They know the addiction rates, the depression rates, the suicide rates, you know, the, the, the debt rates, the lack of hope in our society. And, and, you know, they remember back in the, you know, not that things were perfect back then, but, but like when they inherited a nation from those we would, who grew up in the Great Depression and fought World War II, right? They inherited the most powerful um, nation or nations that had ever existed, right? And, and, and they had so much opportunity. And, and now they look at what they had inherited and they see, oh, Somebody didn't do a very good job because it's crumbling and it's not looking very good. And, and so they're starting to question things. And, and that leads me to my second point, evangelism point number two. They've got questions. We've got answers. And we can't wait until it's too late. That's, that's the point. We can't wait until it's too late. You know, we often want to share with people. We see their struggle in life. We see they've got questions. We know they're headed to an eternity without Christ. But we're just like, oh, I'll just hold off and wait for the right opportunity whenever that is. Or hopefully they'll ask me. But the reality is they might never ask. Nicodemus comes asking, but, but they might not. You need to go to them. You need to at least try. What's the worst they're going to say? I'm not interested. Well, then at least you try. But don't wait until it's too late. Verse 3, Jesus replied, Truly I tell you, unless someone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Isn't this strange? Like, Jesus is so not like us, right? Like, verse 2, he comes and says, Rabbi, which is a compliment. Uh, We know that you're a teacher who comes from God, for no one can perform these signs uh, that you do unless God were with him. Jesus doesn't interact with that statement. He throws a curveball and he says, truly I tell you, unless somebody is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Uh, do, do you see what's happening? Jesus knows that Nicodemus is trying to assert his intellect and his charm into the situation. He is trying to control the conversation because that's what he's used to doing. But now Jesus is going to take control of the conversation. And he throws something out that Nicodemus has no idea what he is referencing. Nicodemus, who is one of the smartest in the the nation, was trained by the greatest of teachers and mentored by the most esteemed people uh, in the region, doesn't have an idea what Jesus is referring to. Which shows, really, he doesn't understand the scriptures. He doesn't understand God. We see that in his response. Verse 4. How can anyone be born when he is old? Nicodemus said. Nicodemus asked him, can he enter his mother's womb a second time and be born? Tip number three. We have to look to understand 
people's ways of thinking. We've got to understand, you know, what boomers were raised to think and, and how they came to believe what they believe. We need to understand what Gen Xers believe. We need to understand what millennials believe or how else are we going to interact with them. Jesus knows exactly what the Pharisees believe. They believe that a Messiah is coming, a God the Messiah, the anointed one. God is going to send the Messiah. And they believe that he is going to be like this king that sweeps in and slays the Romans and, and deals with all the enemies and establishes a, a, a kingdom of power, not of spiritual power, but of military might and great wealth. And that then they will become under the king, under the Messiah, the leaders who will then rule all the other nations. That is their concept of who the Messiah is. And so Jesus is throwing a curveball at him because he knows exactly the way he thinks. And he's also demonstrating to Nicodemus, actually, you don't know much. You don't know much. And I know where you're coming from. Well, what a... What do a lot of older people think? Well, what have they been taught in churches? Well, they've been taught that Jesus was a good guy, a good moral teacher. Maybe he was God, um, but he's certainly a God who, you know, all other religions lead into and that he's really accepting. He's kind of like a Santa Claus. Like he'll let mostly everyone into heaven, probably not Stalin, they would think, probably not Hitler. Most would probably think not Trump either, right? But everyone else pretty much gets into heaven and that the bible you know it's it's a nice book with some nice thoughts but there's some some skewed writings in there probably men put it in there and messed it up and the the old testament there's a lot of messy stuff in there right they don't really think it's a divine book and a lot of them would think that 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 this born again thing they don't even know what that is and so we need to understand where they're coming from because our desire is not to make them look stupid our desire is for them to come to the knowledge and saving faith in Jesus Christ. But then we have to tell them, <clears throat> excuse me, then we have to tell them the truth. That's evangelism tip number four. Tell them the truth. Like, don't hold back and, and just allow them to think that, oh, that, that way that they're thinking is correct. Like, it's going to take courage. It's going to take you saying, oh, God, help me. I'm really nervous. I'm really scared. You have to tell them the truth. Because the truth will set them free. And Jesus answers, verse 5, Truly I tell you, unless someone is born of water and of spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Whatever is born of flesh is flesh. Whatever is born of spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I have told you, you must be born again. He's separating <clears throat> the earthly from the spiritual. See, Nicodemus has got a lot of ideas in his head that religion is all earthly, right? Uh, Nicodemus doesn't even necessarily believe that, that there is a, doesn't know as, as some of them struggled to believe that there wasn't even an afterlife. And, and Jesus is going to introduce this idea of being born again, that the spirit of God is going to make you birth out a new creation, like you were born of your mother once and that's all that Nicodemus can understand. That's what he thinks he's referring to. But Jesus is talking about this second birth 
when you come to faith and the spirit of God saves you and almost like births out a new person, we would call them a baby Christian. Right, and the Bible talks about it—a a babe in Christ, and then and then a young man or a woman in Christ, and then a, and then an elder in Christ. Like it's this idea that oh, you're born once of, of of flesh, Jesus is saying, but then another time born of spirit, and you grow in the spirit. But that's not the concept that a lot of religious people have of a Christian, right? And it's really—it's kind of, you know, it's a weird time to be a Christian because people think we are something that we are not. When we say we, you know, we're a Christian, it creates something in, in typical person's mind. A lot of the time it's like religious person, hypocrite person that says stuff, but doesn't really live it. Right. It's just like, we need to separate that. And, and I often say when people say, Oh yeah, you're religious. And I say, no, no, I'm, I'm not actually religious. I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. I'm a person of faith. I, I live by faith. And, and, and that's separate. I'm trying to separate them. So they, so they don't think that we are all this thing that they think we are. And like some people think that all police are bad, right? They've seen some stuff. They've had a bad experience or two with, with police. And they think like all police are evil and all police are bad. But actually like there's some evil, corrupt ones, but most just want to do their job, right? Like some people have a bad experience with a pastor or a priest, and they think like, oh, all priests and, and pastors are just money-grubbing, you know, evil, take advantage of children and women, scheming liars, right? But that's not true. There's, there's some good ones, right? And there's some ones that are actually just want to serve the people and love God, right? Like, like, like a lot of people just think that all politicians are, right, lying, thieving, um, greedy people, right? But we know that's not true. We know there's a, a few good politicians out there, right, who, who are really love to serve the people, right? right? We know these things. And, and see, we need to separate people. We need to help people's minds to separate the good, the, the true, from the false, right, in all of those areas, but especially in what a Christian is. One is religious, one lives by faith. One lives by customs and traditions, one is born of the Spirit. Verse 8, the wind blows where it pleases. And if you hear its sound, you hear its sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it's going. So this is with everyone born of the Spirit. You know, people will sometimes say to me, and they've, I guarantee, probably said to you, like, how do you know there's a God? How can you prove to me that there's really a God? And, you know, that might stump you, but Jesus is giving you the answer right here. Like, it's, I will just respond with, well, how do you know that the wind exists? You can't grab it, right? Show me the wind. Grab the wind and show it to me. You can't see the wind, can you? Like, show me, point out the wind. And they'll say, no, I, I, you can't see it, you can't grab it, but I can feel it. I can feel its effects. I can see its effects. It'll blow it, look at blowing in that tree. It'll blow down a house if it's powerful enough. And I'll say, exactly. It's exactly it. I can't see God. I can't grab a hold of God. But I can see the effects of God. I can see it in his creation. Right, like I'll say to people, like when you look at that house, 
How do you know somebody made it? How do you know it didn't just create itself? And they'll say, well, because it's a house and it can't make itself. And I'll say, exactly. Just as a house cannot create a house, look around at the complexity of creation. From the way the oceans work together to the way... Uh, the ecosystem works together to the way the animals are always provided for. Like, it's so delicate. It's a trillion times more delicate than that house. And so that tells me that somebody created it. You can't have a house without a builder, and you can't have creation without a creator. And then I'll say, I'll say <clears throat> the other is the effects of the Spirit on my life, the effects of God on my life. Like, I can see that there's a creator, but I can also see that that there is a savior because one, he's affected the lives of other people. I've seen, seen the effects just as the wind blows the trees and I see its effects. I've seen the Holy Spirit, God's spirit, change people's lives. And there's some people in, that I've come across and there's something very different about them. The spirit has been changing them. And then I'll say, and in my own life, like sometimes when I struggle with the way things are, I'm like, yeah, but I remember who I used to be and I remember what God did and what he continues to do in my life. It's the effects. And so we've got to tell them the truth. We've got to be patient. Okay, that's tip number five. Be patient with them. And now Jesus, he's the son of God. And he's still patient, but I can imagine this scene. Like he is dealing with one of the people who thinks he's the smartest, one of the smartest people and has always been treated as if he is one of the superior people. And I can imagine kind of Jesus with a smile on his face. He's just playing with this guy. How can these things be, asked Nicodemus. Are you not a teacher of Israel and you don't know these things, Jesus says? And, and for us, we need to be patient. And Jesus is extremely patient. Like he's playing with, with Nicodemus, but he's very patient. And, and sometimes we can, when people like question us or challenge us, um, we can get very defensive, can't we? And, and we can sometimes get mad. And we can sometimes ruin a chance to interact and have good discussion with people. That's one of the things people have lost the ability to do in our time. Like nobody can sit down and disagree with somebody now, or sorry, it's not an ultimate. Very few people can sit down with somebody that they disagree with and be all right with disagreeing with them. It's like, oh, you don't agree with me? Fine, I'm not talking to you. Or you're my enemy, right? That's why there's so much polarization in our times because people have lost the ability to have discussions and not necessarily agree with each other or lead somebody to the evidence which will help them to understand and come over to your side. And we so need that. We need patience, ladies and gentlemen. We need to be patient. And, and I think of two of the dear friends, an elder and his wife, Gary and Bonnie Taylor. They're very patient people. Uh, a man that has come to our church, he had come to our church in the summer uh, when there was that uh, little bit, those few months that we were open. And uh, he was new to faith, him and his wife, Alan and Queenie, Alan Revere. And uh, Alan uh, went to be with the Lord. He died uh, this past week. But he had just come to faith this year. And he was, in, he was in his senior years. He was in his late 70s, I believe. And, and for years, Gary and Bonnie have patiently shared the gospel with them, brought them to Alpha, answered their questions, prayed with them, 
gone back and done it many, many, many times until eventually they came to faith. And now he is in heaven and probably soon his wife, Queenie, will join him. And that's partially because God used two patient people to share the good news. And we are dealing with a generation, okay, uh, that, that needs to know the truth. And we need to be very patient with them. They have some church experience. Many of them grew up in churches. They have Bibles on their shelves. They think they actually are Christians, but they don't actually know God and they don't actually know what his word says. Look at verse 11. Truly I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify of what we have seen. Pause there. Tip number six. You, Christian, can only speak of what you know and what you've seen. You need to know it first. It needs to be, he needs to be alive in you. You need to be reborn. You need to be allowing the spirit access to your life. Or how are you going to tell other people about something you actually haven't experienced yourself? First Peter chapter 3, verse 15, it's a very well-known verse. Peter says, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks for a reason for the hope that is in you. Do it with gentleness and respect. Peter says, Christian, you should always be ready to give a reason why you're, you believe what you believe, why you have a hope when you're at the end of your life? Why, why you have a hope when, when the world seems like it's coming apart? Like, what is it in you? Why do you believe what you believe? What is it that you believe? Peter's saying, you should always be ready and you should do it with gentleness and respect. And I'll say this, kind, with, I'll say this with kindness. If you've been a Christian for a year or more, there is no reason, no reason why you shouldn't be able to share the gospel, and articulate what you believe with another person. There isn't a justifiable reason. The only two reasons I can really think of is, is, is one, laziness. It's like you just really don't care, and you just really don't put effort into knowing it is what you believe. And then it's a hard problem, because like, how could you be a police officer and not know what your job is? Or how could you be, be a, like a, a, um, a, an accountant and not know the tax laws? That's right. Like You should know what it is you're involved in. And so maybe it's laziness. I'd like to think it's not that for, for most of the people listening. The other is fear. We're not ready to give an account of what we believe because we're afraid. And, and, and that takes courage. We have to have courage because we have to tell them because if we don't tell them, nobody's going to tell them. And if nobody tells them, they're not going to know. And if they don't know, they're not going to be saved. So you have to be ready. You have to take the initiative. You have to prepare yourself. There's no reason why first century uh, illiterate uh, people who couldn't read or write, who had like a kindergarten sort of education in our terms, could spread the gospel throughout the most powerful empire. And we, who have the access to more information than any generation in history, say we can't. There's no reason. So we just need to seek God, prepare ourselves. That makes initiative. You have to prepare yourself and do it. Carry on. Jesus says, but you do not accept our testimony. Verse 12. 
If I had told you about earthly things, if I've told you about earthly things and you don't believe, how will you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses was lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up so that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. Tip number seven. You have to start where they know. Start where they are. Okay, so Nicodemus has no idea what Jesus is talking about. Be born again, be born of the Spirit. He has an understanding of of who God is and who the Messiah is that is not correct. He knows a lot of the Bible, the Old Testament, but he doesn't actually know what it means. And so Jesus is going to start with what he knows. What does he know? Well, he knows a lot about Moses. He knows the stories of Moses. He knows that Moses made this bronze snake uh, that during this time when God was punishing the people because they had turned to false gods and and he was unleashing some judgments on them that he made this um, bronze snake and he lifted it up and he said, everyone who is for God, look upon this and you will not be punished. And so all those who were like, I don't care about God, I don't need God, they didn't look upon it and they were they felt the judgment. But all those who did were saved. And Jesus is saying, listen, you remember that. You know that story very well. So let me tell you about the real Messiah. Just as he was lifted up for the salvation of everyone else, so too is the Messiah going to be. He is not a conquering Messiah. He is a Messiah who has come to save. And so you've got to start with what they know. Ask them questions. Did you go to church growing up? Oh yeah, what kind of a church did you go to? You know, what do you know about Jesus? Who do you think that he is? Like, get an understanding of where they are and then go from there. And where do you go? You go to the gospel. And that's exactly what Jesus is going to do. Verse 16. For God so loved the world in this way that he gave his one and only son so that whoever believes in him will not perish but will have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Anyone who believes in him is not condemned, but anyone who does not believe in him is already condemned because he has not believed in the name of the one and only son of God. Three times Jesus says condemn. Four times Jesus says believe or believed. He is trying to tell us something. It's through faith and the other option is condemnation. Through faith, you escape condemnation to reject belief in Jesus. By default, you get that condemnation. And the gospel is simple. All humanity has sinned. They have broken God's laws. And and God didn't just leave it at that. He sent his only son to live the perfect life. substitution as for us. So to live the perfect life and then substitute himself on our behalf, to take our punishment. And if you believe in him and embrace him, you will not uh, be punished and condemned according to law. I, I put it in human terms often. You've maybe heard me say this a number of times. I got to get people's minds thinking human. So I'm like, imagine you came to this country and there's a set of laws in this nation. And it doesn't matter if you agree with these laws or not, the laws are of the nation. And so you go out and break the laws or somebody goes out and break the laws and they are brought before a judge and the judge's job is to 
judge according to the law. He doesn't get to make the law up himself. It doesn't matter if the person disagrees with the laws. His job is to enforce the law. And so he goes in front of that person. The judge says, the fine for breaking the laws is this. Can you pay the fine? The person says, no. Then the judge says, okay, I'm willing to, because I love you and I care about you, I'm willing to pay the fine on your behalf. But in order to receive that, you must believe that my way, which, I will, which you will then embrace, the, the course that I will set you on, uh, is better than the old. You must embrace me, that I will be in charge of your life, that I will be your savior, that I will be your, the one in charge, and then you get to be forgiven. And I'll give you far greater than you ever lost. So that person, if, if the judge, right? There's not too many judges that would do that. I don't think there's any human judges that would do that. But if there was a human judge that did that, that person has two options. One is they accept it and they're forgiven. They're, the, the fine is paid. The law is still, carry, is still in force. Or two, they reject it. And by rejecting the offer... By default, they're condemned to pay the law. So I often explain it in human terms. And, and, and people will get it. I've, I've so many times had people say, oh, I, I understand now why God has to enforce the law. Like, it, it doesn't matter if I disagree. It doesn't matter if I've done a bunch of good things. It doesn't erase the bad things I've done. And, and so God is good. He's a righteous judge, okay? I get it, righteous. And, and I wouldn't want uh, judges in our country that just ignore the law all the time, but ones that carry it out and enforce it. People get it. And so we need to explain it to them in ways that they'll get it. The last little bit, verse 19. This is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. For everyone who, who does evil hates the light and avoids it so that his deeds may not be exposed. But everyone who lives by the truth comes to the light so that his works may be shown to be accomplished by God. Last tip, tip number eight. In this commission we've been given called evangelism that every Christian has, we have to pray like crazy, love the people like crazy, and eventually we just have to leave it with God. So pray like crazy, love like crazy, leave it with God. We want to pray for these people as we're interacting with them, like before, during, and after, we want to share the gospel with them. We want to show them like a supernatural love. Like even if they lash out at us, we're calm. Um, we treat them with respect. We honor them as Jesus honored Zacchaeus the week before. Like we don't care what people think about us interacting with these people. But then we've got to rest in God, right? And and what Jesus is like, he's he's... He's laying it out for us. He's laying it out for Nicodemus. Like there's some people who will reject the gospel because they don't want to live as, with Jesus as their king. They like to live in the darkness. They like to do the things that God says are wrong. They like to break the laws of God. And so therefore they will reject the gospel because they don't want him. They don't want to be saved. And at that point you just have to Accept that. Like that you and I can't force somebody to come to faith. All we can do is share 
and realize that uh, and, and share it in a way that they're going to get it and understand it, but then just accept it, that some people don't want it. And at that point, all we can do is cry out to God on their behalf. Keep loving them, keep being kind to them, and hope that we will see them in heaven. And some days, listen, there are some people that have come to Christ in my life and in my 13 years to being a Christian that surprised me. I'm sure I, me coming to Christ surprised a whole lot of people. So we got to never give up. We got to have ultimate hope in Christ, but we got to do our jobs. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much that you saved us. If people are listening to this and and they can think back on the time when when you saved them, when they came to faith, when they were born again. Lord, I pray we would thank you and celebrate that. But that, that wouldn't be it. That we would have the courage to take our faith seriously. To figure out how it is we're going to articulate the good news of the gospel. And then we would go out and do it. Lord, I pray for all the people in our town. So many people that have religious backgrounds. But so few that have you as their savior. Lord, give us wisdom, give us courage as we go and share with them and open up their hearts, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon audio. For more resources or to connect with us, visit calvarygravenhurst.com.